I have a question for you. What's your question? If I was an animal, what animal would I be? Is this because of the mood boards we've been making? Oh. They, this is on your, uh, yes. on your mind? Yes. <laughs> What's your Patronus? An otter. Really? Yeah. Oh, nice. What's your Patronus? I think a dog or something. You don't know? No. Pause the podcast. Pause the we podcast. We got to go on Potter more. <laughs> um, I think that you are... What do you think you are? A bird. Which one? A sexy one. Did <laughs> <laughs> that make me a penguin? Do you think penguins are sexy? Who doesn't? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> what dog do you think you are? Oh, I think you're a dog. Thanks. <laughs> I think I am too. Flip. You're like a little like golden retriever. I'm oh, not going to do oh that. No, oh, mm, no. Oh, okay. no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I just, listen, I want to thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for prying yourself away from Baldur's Gate 3 and long enough to record the podcast today. It was hard, but I'm here. Great. And right after this, you know what I'm going back to? You're going to play Baldur's Gate 3. I'm on Act 3 for anyone who's interested. It's really cool. Game of the year. Game of the year. I think it's going to be game of the year. It's either that or Zelda. We call it now. Our we we're, okay. we're making a bet with our audience and Jeff Keeley. And Jeff Keeley, <laughs> uh, if it, if Baldur's Gate three is game of the year, then you owe us a hundred thousand dollars. Is that to Jeff Keeley? Everyone actually. That's a lot of money. To our four listeners. Because <laughs> <laughs> four hundred thousand dollars oh, is man. a lot. Oh man, it is. <laughs> Welcome to Gallery. (laughs) I I feel like we just, I feel like we mentally, I feel like we have this little mental thing going where we both like look at each other after like we start the the episode and we're like, okay, now it's time to roll the intro. Because we're in love. Yeah. Why'd you say it like that? I said, yeah. Say it better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen that video of the kid who's like, have you seen that line of the kid who's like hitting a basketball with his head? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I've seen that. That's so funny. So that just made me think of that. That is funny. Okay. What? I'm really eager to hear what you're talking about. I don't, it feels like we, if it's been forever since we've filmed. <laughs> me when I'm eager. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> All right, let me start. Yeah, what do you well? What are you talking about? Oh, first? guess. I know it's a book, right? Yeah, I guess. Is this one that I've read? That's it's, a dumb it's, question. It's literature. It's literature. And I, I doubt you've read it, but I think you know the story. So is it like a classic, or is it like mm-hmm. oh, it's a classic? Mm-hmm. Is it Dracula? No. I'm still. I got still got spooky stuff. You on got the, brain. the Halloween brain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a classic. Little Women. No. Uh. Let's see how many classics you know. Oh, no. <laughs> is it Huckleberry Finn? No. Moby Dick? No. The Road? Oh, no. We already talked about The Road. The Road is like the book that comes in. What is it? <laughs> yeah. It's Metamorphoses by Ovid. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Idiot stupid okay, cool, boy cool. never went to English no, class. No. <laughs> I did go to English class. Okay, you do know what it is because within Metamorphoses is the tale of Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah, I know that story, but why don't you tell the audience members because do you know, they don't know. Do you not know that? 
looks I've like heard the- looks like somebody didn't read Percy Jackson. Actually, I don't even know if that story's in Percy Jackson. It's a it's an old it, well, it's technically Greek and Roman. Ovid is Roman, but it's the line an old between Greek, myth. Greek and Roman is so blurry, it's a little hazy. <laughs> because if it's Greek, it's probably Roman too. Honestly. <laughs> Okay, let me tell you the story. All right. Let me set the scene for you, non-believer. So this is like a, a like a myth. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. It's like a short story. Type it, of well, deal. it's a myth, and you know how some people were like, "Oh, these people were definitely real," like Jason and the Argonauts and mm-hmm. the Golden Fleece and everything like that. Well, it was said that Orpheus joined Jason and the Argonauts. Those quests, like big famous quests, like that. But those texts don't mention Orpheus, and so Aristotle himself said that Orpheus didn't exist. Oh. So he may be a myth, he may not. Interesting. But it is it is a myth. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm so sorry I keep interrupting no, you, you're but good. I, I have so many questions about what this is. Because you don't know what it is. Because I don't know what it is, but uh, so this is ancient Greek uh-huh. type of stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. I just had to make sure. Yeah. It is. I think it's a story that's been retold in a lot of different ways and with a lot mm. of different people. It's had a bajillion adaptions. Adaptations. Adaptions? Sorry, Who's sorry. the idiot uh, now? Me, me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's had a million adaptations. It's in stuff that you know all about. Like Hosier has a song that mentions the two. Hang on, we've been in a, we've been on a Hosier kick lately because Hosier's awesome. I've been on a Hosier kick my whole life. You have been on a Hosier kick your whole life. But his song "Talk" talks about Orpheus and Eurydice. Is that that's not in the most recent album? Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, the game Hades. Oh no! Oh. I was gonna get excited about Hades, but Hades is. One that I haven't tried yet. Embarrassing. Which is so embarrassing, but whatever. Uh, there's a there's a part in Hades where you can put Orpheus and Eurydice together. You can there's a quest to put them together or whatever. So, so here's the story. Me, yeah, yeah, tell yeah, me here's the story. story. I'm so ready to hear it. So Orpheus is he he plays the lute and he's very very good at it. They say that his dad was Apollo, you know, the god of music and stuff. Yeah. And his mom was that girl whose name I don't remember, and. Anyway, he came from divine like lineage, and he was just really, really good at playing the flute. Like he was amazing. He was like Wait, the Taylor Swift of Greek. The lute or the flute? Because those are two different the, the instruments. The lute. Lute. Uh-huh. Okay, you said flute. Or was it the lyre? I think it was the lyre, actually. It. If you don't know what we're talking about, a lute is like Greek ancient guitar, and <laughs> seriously, and a lyre is a Greek ancient. Well, I guess that's not Greek, but it's an ancient harp. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a liar. Doesn't matter. Doesn't no. really matter. He, he played he played an instrument. He could have been playing the banjo. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine? He plays the harmonica. Uh, my name's <laughs> my name's Orpheus. Orpheus on his <laughs> harmonica. Um and so they say he was so good that everybody would like come around him and they'd like listen to him and stuff. And even the trees and the rocks would like move and sway as he mm. played. They were really he was really, really good. And he was in love with this girl named Eurydice. And she was really beautiful or whatever. They always and, are. Yeah. And I, I should first put out that there's a lot of versions of this story. Like, there's a lot of different ways that it happens. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of talk about all of them. But I'm mostly following, for those of you who are really into this stuff, I'm mostly following Ovid's tale. Okay. Um, but either they were married or it was on their wedding day and stuff. They were just, they were just so, so in love. Uh, I'm going to go with the version that they were married. They right. were so, so in love. And one day, they were just they were just recently married. One day, Eurydice is dancing with her nymph friends, and she love it. steps into a snake pit. Snake bites her, 
she immediately dies. Oh my gosh. Like she dies so fast. Dang, dude. And then Orpheus, this is very tragic. Orpheus was so, so in love with her that he just like loses all will to live. Like, oh man. He goes, he just gets so emo over this. And he. He sings such a sad love song that the gods are like, you got to go get her, girl. And so he's like, okay, I'll go get her. And so he goes to the underworld. And I don't know how much you know about Greek legends. Like, oh. do you know about Cerberus and oh, yeah. Charon? Oh, yeah. It's stuff like Learn that. Learn about it in our history. So Cerberus, he gets to the gates of, of the underworld. Cerberus, yeah. this three-headed dog. Mm-hmm. He plays his little flute for his lute, lyre, his instrument. His banjo. <laughs> <laughs> he plays the harmonica for him. And Cerberus just lays down his heads and let him in because it was such a beautiful song. And he gets to the Charon and Charon just gives him a lift through the sticks because his song was so beautiful. Yeah. And finally he gets to Hades and Persephone and he's like, hey, I would really like my wife back and I'll do anything for it. And if you don't give her back to me, then I'll stay here because I just don't want to live without her. And he plays them such a heartbreaking sad song that they say all of the torture in hades stopped like sisyphus dude you know know the meme that's happening sisyphus with (laughs) the the boulder with the boulder he stopped rolling it and he sat on it and like tantalus do you know that guy he he was a guy who was cursed to always be really really hungry and really really thirsty and sit in a pool of water with fruit hanging over him and never and so and he stopped reaching for the fruit you know kind of thing And the Furies, like, all wept tears for the first time and stuff. Whoa. Like, it was that beautiful of a song. And so Hades and Persephone were like, dang, <laughs> all right. You can have her on one condition. You are allowed to walk out with Eurydice, but she has to follow behind you, and you can't turn back to look at her what? until you get out of the underworld. That's so, okay, keep going. I'm so invested <laughs> in this. And he was like, great. I'm a patient man. I can totally do this. I just don't have to turn back and look at her. And so he starts up this like hill or journey or whatever to the end of the underworld to get out. And there are three ways that this happens, but it all ends in the same way. Orpheus turns to look at Eurydice and he sees her fall back into Hades or back into the underworld and loses her forever. Oh my gosh. And so these are the three ways that it happens. The first, Eurydice trips and he turns to help her because he loves her. Mm-hmm. The second, he can't hear her footsteps and he gets really worried that he might have left her behind or the gods have tricked him and he turns to make sure that she's there. Uh. The third, he makes it out and he's so excited and he's so full of love that he turns around to like greet her and to tell her that he loves her, but she hadn't made it out yet and oh. they both had to have made it out. And so she goes back in. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's like the main bit of the story. The rest of it is that he goes back into the world alone. And he not only had to see his bride die once, but twice because of his folly. Yeah. And he swears off women forever. He sings such sad love songs that they say he invented the love poem. Whoa. And then beasts tear him apart. What? Or in another version. <laughs> wait a second. Oh, wait. Or in another. Well, he basically sings songs of, please, I want to die so bad to go back to, Eur- to Eurydice. That the beasts are like, like okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> or in another version, the female followers of Dionysus are kind of mad uh, that he won't be with any women, so they tear him apart. <laughs> oh, man. 
Greek so, Greece myths. This is the story. And let, let's hear your thoughts on it first. To me, it, it to me there's there's especially with the ending, there's hints of like trust. <laughs> and following through on things even if you love someone. <laughs> so this this is considered a Greek tragedy. Yeah. But there's something very interesting about this story that I feel draws me and so many other people back to this story and makes it so much more romantic other than like any other Greek tragedy is this idea that that Orpheus didn't fall because of human frailty, because of his own weaknesses, mm. because of pride or, you know, hubris, hubris yeah. all of that and stuff. He didn't fall because of that. The reason that he fell was because he loved her so much, because it was true love. Mm. And so there's even a quote, my favorite quote ever from this. It says, at the very end, uh, as Eurydice disappears back into the underworld, it says, Eurydice, dying now a second time, uttered no complaint against her husband. What was there to complain of but that she had been loved? Say it again. Eurydice, dying now a second time, uttered no complaint against against her husband. What was there to complain of but that she had been loved? Wow. Sorry, I had you read it again because... It's beautiful. That's... Wow. Exactly. And so... Man. The main folly of Orpheus, if this even can be considered a folly, is that he loved Eurydice so much that uh-huh. he needed to see her, that he needed to help her, even if that happened, even if that led to some tragedy, you know? Wow. Man, I, man, I appreciate your insights and your mind on these things so much. Just, I'm trying to think of, of like how it applies in like real life. I don't know loving someone too much that they quote-unquote like die (laughs) like i don't know what do you think i have a lot to say on this topic because i don't have much right now i don't have much to add yeah but i'm just i'm kind of in admiration of of this story i am isn't it beautiful yeah um i think my favorite part is that a lot of people would say well some people in the stories like some even like the gods in Uh the story ridicule him because he's so weak because he wasn't willing to die for Eurydice or something like that. Oh. And and I feel that he was because in the yeah. story he says, you can, I'll stay here if you don't give me Eurydice spirit, yeah. you know? Yeah. But it's this idea not of dying for someone that you love, but of loving them being in every single action and every single like subconscious thought that you have. Mm. And so I feel like in the end of the story, we see that Orpheus doesn't, like, he isn't obsessed with her. He isn't, like, interested in her beauty and everything. He's so worried mm-hmm. about her well-being. And, like, it's not even a selfish love of, like, him wanting her to be with him. He plainly wants to see if she's okay. That's how much she loves. Yeah. he loves her. It feels like it feels like Orpheus's love has kind of become a sixth sense. Yeah. It's and a part of him. It's a part of him. And, you know, that kind of becomes her downfall. You know, even though... Even though he knows that, like, oh, if I look back or if my concern for her gets too great and I look back, you know, that's against what the gods are saying. But in spite of that, it's so natural to him mm-hmm. that he just he almost can't control himself. And I think, 
man, that's wow. I, I'm just sorry. What I'm saying is kind of incoherent just because I'm so blown away of this idea of just like this foundational love and I don't know, just instinctual love is mm-hmm. what I should say. Mm-hmm. So sorry, that was a bit of jumbled, but I think this is just so beautiful. It's beautiful. And and it's difficult to talk about something like this because it's so well put yeah. and it's so simple almost. Like I feel like preparing for this, I had a, I had a lot of like a big struggle trying to come up with like really what to say about it or like how, how to yeah. express how I feel about it. Because it's hard. Like how do you talk about truest love, you know? Yeah. And I'm and I'm the same way where I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like draw parallels to like real life and and modern day and like I'm like what does the stipulation that Hades gives Orpheus really mean? And I don't think <laughs> and I think you know what I mean. Like yeah, I think I'm really analyzing. Up, yeah, I'm, well I'm trying to overanalyze and I think that that is just not what is needed here. Mm-hmm. And I think that you just kind of need to step back and just say, you know what did what did Orpheus do? What did he not do? And what does that, what does that mean? Like, what's the, what's the principle? Mm-hmm. Not of like everything in the story, but like of this one action. I don't know. I just, man, I'm kind of just in this really, I'm kind of in this tizzy because. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to go like stare at a wall for a while. <laughs> I know. I just have so many thoughts that I can't articulate them. Have but you never like, heard this before? No, dude, I'm stupid. Oh. <laughs> no, don't accept that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, right. Frick. Oh, man. But here, listen, this might just add something else for you to think about while you stare at the wall. Is this hose your lyrics? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. It's because I asked you about hose lyrics earlier today. I love hose here. And so, he d- okay, this is just one adaptation that I kind of maybe thought I'd bring up, but I think it's so beautiful. I have okay. to bring it up. Um, the point of the song Talk by Hosier is that the verses are him speaking in this beautiful, like, love poetry, like, and talking about Orpheus and Eurydice and how he'll love the person that he's singing to, just mm. like that. And then the chorus is like, I'm only talking all refined because I'm trying to seduce you. I'm trying to sweet talk you and stuff. And so it doesn't mean much more than that. Mm. And so that adds a deeper level to kind yeah. of what he says here. but. The here's here's the yeah, read first the verse. The first verse. Okay. Um he says, I'd be the voice that urged Orpheus when her body was found. Okay. Ooh. To Dang. to 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 madness, to go underground, to yeah, go, to go back and yeah. get her, yeah. The just yeah, okay. You okay, get it. okay. The second line, I'd be the choiceless hope in grief that drove him underground. I really like that choiceless hope in grief because mm. I yeah. feel like in in grief the, you always hope that yeah. there's going to be something different. Yeah, and you can't you, you can't no, choose. like what are you going to do? Yeah, <laughs> um, I'd be the dreadful need in the devotee that made him turn around. Dang, and I'd be the immediate forgiveness in Eurydice. Imagine being loved by me. Dang, I know. Hosier. <laughs> Those are beautiful <laughs> lyrics. I know. Hmm. Bro's staring at the wall. Man, this is just like ah, <laughs> uh, this this is this, I think this is the topic that you've shared so far that's making me levitate the most. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, that's what uh, Hosier music does. If you yeah. turn on like Son of Nix, you just like start like lifting. Yeah. <laughs> Love is so deep and man. <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I, I don't really have anything uh, intelligent to say. But Love is so deep. Okay, 2023. I, <laughs> I just love what you're saying. Well, I feel in, in it, in summary, el final. Okay, all right. I feel this way about you. Oh, I feel this way about you. Oh, let's me go. <laughs> no. Sorry, was that? I, uh, never mind. Never mind what? <laughs> Freak. Anyway, that's one of my favorite Greek myths. I love Percy Jackson. Amen. Amen. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Oh, man. The, 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 the pole of love, the un- unconditional, foundational, instinctual love. You know, that's to me what love is. That's what I kind of say to you when I'm like, unconditional love is a stupid phrase because it love is inherently unconditional. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, sh- it should just be this foundational thing that is is ever present for somebody else. You know, it's not like deposits in a bank account. You know, well, I love you. Here's a check here. Or, or I'm sorry, the reverse where it's like, you love me. That's a check in the love bank account. And I can give you more love because of what you're doing. That's not what it should be. It should be always there, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like that's something that is, that it develops. Mm-hmm. Like it, deep within a person over time. Wow, man, I feel deliriously uplifted by that. Yeah. And even though it's a tragedy, right? Yeah, it, I don't know. It's just that, and in, that and, little ending is just so profound. In and in the end, are are they not reunited? Dude. <laughs> you just like you pass away right there. <laughs> And that's going to need a, an hour break. Uh, let's put on the screensaver. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, by now you're probably wondering, why do they have a little Super Mario Brothers Wonder poster instead of the <laughs> Starry Night? We threw away the Starry Night poster because it was grubby. And I got that for ordering the game on Best Buy. That was the biggest tonal shift I've, of my life. Yeah. Is that what you're thinking about the whole time I talked about Orpheus? The and entire Racy? time. No. You're like, look at that little I'm poster. I'm like, look at Yoshi on there. <laughs> All right, tell me your 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 thing is gonna be like it's the cover art of Mario Wonder. It's the Wonder. cover art of Mario Wonder. It's right here. No, great game by the way. Probably one of the best of this year. No, I'm not having this discussion with you. Baldur's Gate three. Yeah. So wait, wait. Let me guess. Yeah, I'm gonna. I was gonna have oh, a guess. Oh, thank you. Yeah. A book. It's you did a book. Oh. Well. <laughs> I didn't bring anything. <laughs> You're like, I'm just sitting here today. <laughs> no. Oh, it's visual art. It is visual art. What kind of visual art? It's. I'm going to talk about a specific piece. It's illustration. Illustration. I'm going to talk about a specific piece, but I kind of want to just touch on this artist and kind of what they mean to me. Van Gogh. Not Van Gogh. Leonardo da Vinci. If I was talking about Van Gogh, we'd be here a long time. Mm-hmm. But I, I, this artist, I just can't stop thinking about lately. And, Banksy. Oh, I love Banksy, man, but it's not Banksy. Okay, I'll stop interrupting. You do think. No, it's okay. I love when you guess. Aw. It is <laughs> her name. A girl. A girl. Well, I'm listening. <laughs> it is, I don't know, you might recognize the name, Eliza Ivanova. No, I don't know who the frick really? that is. Really? I haven't talked to you about Eliza Ivanova yet? Eliza. So she, Elizabeth. Yeah. I don't know if that's her full name. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a liar? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, Eliza Ivanova is a Bulgarian artist. She's still alive. She's still making art. She used to work at DreamWorks. She used to work at... Wait, 
she so she used to work at DreamWorks as a character designer, and I think she's currently at Pixar as an animator. But don't Ooh. quote me on that. I'm going to quote you on that. She's currently at Pixar as an no, animator. No, I didn't say in that. In quotation marks, I didn't say that. 2023. <laughs> but um, she is kind. Of, I think like right now she's like my favorite artist right now. Like I have my all time list, but like uh-huh. for what I've been doing lately with my own art and like just kind of what me and my like art friends have been talking about. Eliza Ivanova is just amazing. What she do? So let me show you. So she has just a really amazing art style. So this is one of her pieces, one of her. So she does uh, graphite illustration, which yeah. is just pencil. pencil? Okay. Yeah. And she's, she is an illustrator. So that's kind of what you can expect from her work. Graphite pencil illustrations. So, what we're looking at right now is is a a woman in a fetal position and there's there's like dots everywhere there's like balls everywhere that she, are she in the tennis ball factory yeah um and she <laughs> is that not what she's in <laughs> i don't think well hey artist subjective if that's what you all right she i mean that's kind of the amazing thing about it is like you don't really it kind of lets your imagination run wild. So Baby she's in a circles. fetal position. She's yeah. surrounded by circles. And um, and she's covered in circles. Yeah, she's like. got circles on her. So what I love about Eliza Ivanova the most is she has a real, like, mysticalness about her art style. That's, there's kind of this etherealness because there's parts that she's left out. She's got kind of these really detailed parts And then there's parts with nothing and no detail right up next to each other. And it just kind of creates this really like whimsical kind of otherworldly look. It's not otherworldly, but like, how would you describe it? Hmm. Because I'm having trouble putting my finger on it. I'm sorry. The only thing I can think of is she left out the feet. And I think that's funny. Well, she did leave out the feet. And that's like another big part of her art style is she leaves things out. Yeah. Yeah. Just what you're saying. I would I would describe it as like when you take a photo with the iPhone and then you put it on like the Illustrate feature. Mm, or no, that, that like filter in like Instagram or whatever it is. Interesting. Or it's like a it's like a photo, but it's turned into like a pencil drawing. Yeah. And then I feel like these bubbles, at least for me as someone who's like trained to work with cameras, it just looks like the the, the lights when like, they get out of focus. Yeah, interesting. I didn't think about it like that. This is why I asked you because you just have such a beautiful eye. Yeah. So really cool stuff. <laughs> and then this is another one. Oh, wow. Um, She has that geometric shape in the back that I really like. Mm-hmm. She's got some color in here too. She does have some color. Is, is it colored pencil that she works with then? I think so. This is another colored one. I think this one is marker though. Oh, wow. I, yeah, man, we picked some pretty incomprehensible topics today. No, really. Because I just don't know how to describe her. I, it's got it's got the grungy colors of steampunk. Grungy almost. colors of steampunk, but it's got an elegance to it. Yeah, yeah. You can tell that she knows how to hold a pencil. Like yeah. she knows how to work with lines. When you watch her on Instagram, her process is she's just she starts laying line da- lines down. No sketches. Whoa. No mapping out. No thumbnails. No nothing. Whoa. She just draws all these, and Mommy. they're so beautiful. How old is she? Uh, she's young. I think she's in her late, either late twenties or early thirties. Sister. But I don't know. (laughs) Sister. (laughs) Not mommy. (laughs) But anyway, so in order to really get what I'm talking about. Oh. Yeah, isn't that cool? 
Okay, I you, see. You just got to look. She leaves things out of the drawing. She will, like, make things really muddy, but it totally works. Um, and if you're wondering how she got that, like, kind of airbrushy look, she's using a tool called a blending stump. You've seen me use a blending stump before, right? Is it the rag? No, that's a chamois. <laughs> chamois. It's a funny name. A blending stump? I'm wondering if I should go get mine. But Does it look like a beauty blender? No, it's not a. It's not like a brush at all. No, a beauty blender for like makeup. Oh, like that spongy thing. The egg. No, it doesn't look like that. It's like it's like rolled up piece of paper. Oh, like super oh, tight. Oh, I know what you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so what that does is, if you use that over a a really dark area where there's a lot of pencil, that you kind of lift some of that pencil off, and then mm -hmm. it, it's kind of looks like a, a it. You like draw on smudges with a blending stump. Whoa. You can like draw this like really airbrushy thing, and so she does that. All the time. I feel like it's like, uh, what am I saying? This seems, her style seems like like it's realistic enough to like hold your attention to make you understand that this is a thing. Yeah. And everything like that. But it's like stylized enough to be really, really interesting to look at. Totally. Oh my gosh. That was so well said. You just summed it up perfectly. Better yeah. than I could. Thank you. Like her, she's got this face that you can tell is just this beautifully rendered face. But, like, she left out half the nose. Half her hair is in And there. half her hair is gone. But, like, you can still uh -huh. you can still see the back of her head. You know what I mean? It, it it's implied. Yeah. It reminds me kind of of Impressionism. Mm -hmm. or, and that I have the same thing. thoughts. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like with, like, cameras and stuff, when you see a face and you see the way the light hits them, there are portions of their face that disappear yeah. or portions of their face that are, like, emphasized. Yeah. Like, what for us right now, the light is emphasizing dark circles and mm -hmm, stuff because yeah. we've got overhead lighting. Yeah. But, like, the way that she does this makes it seem like she knows how the light is hitting her subjects, mm. even though I imagine she's not looking at a reference here. I doubt it. So I don't think so. That's That's lovely. Yeah. And I love the way she leaves things out because it because you can just see everything, but and yet there's only so little on the page. That's a cool one. That's a cool one. Yeah. They're very like they're very moody. They're very like, moody. Ethereal. They're definitely not like happy, joyous drawings. Yeah. yeah. And she has a really good use of shape and line as well. Yeah. All these crazy lines, all these crazy shapes that look really cool. Like look at that shape that's on the face. Wow. So cool. So interesting. See, this I I haven't been that interested in like illustration work before uh -huh. in my life, and I've been able to appreciate the great paintings. Yeah, and I love, of course, like digital media and stuff like that. And so when I look at like a pencil drawing, I I think in the past I would have seen something like this and been like, awesome, she got it in her school notebook. Or something like that. Or like the weird kid from art was doodling again. It's really good, but it's a doodle. But I feel like from seeing you draw and from like learning more about the process that goes behind character design and goes into like illustrating animated features and stuff like that, I feel so much more appreciative of the level of art and expertise and mm. just pure talent that has to go into something like this to make it look like that. Yeah. Because any untrained eye would see, oh, it's a woman with like, Four heads around, they're holding a crystal ball. It's a witch. Yeah. But any other person would be, or any person trained in this would be like, wow, look at these lines on the face. Look at the way that it draws your eye towards their faces, towards these hands. Totally. Like it, it's really, really well done. I am really glad that you mentioned that 
because this that's a great segue into what I kind of want to end with is I think in the art world, I think the general public and even like artists in general, and it doesn't matter what art you're doing. I think artists who are trying to get better, who are trying to improve their skill, I think, and this honestly, this just applies to everybody. I think we have a tendency to kind of focus on, is it realistic? Is it perfect? Is it, does it look like this one, Mm. you know, comparing things. And we have such a tendency to kind of just like focus on, focus on like what it's not looking like and focus on, you know, that it doesn't look perfect. Mm -hmm. And I think what I appreciate about Eliza Ivanova is her art isn't realistic or, or quote unquote perfect or, you know, like, you know, what I should say is she leaves stuff out. Mm-hmm. You know, logically, you don't leave anything out of a drawing. You got to paint the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You have to, or not you have to, but Eliza leaves stuff out and she puts things in that aren't there in real life and she leaves things out completely, you know? And so I think she really captures this attitude of... You know, maybe it can look good without being logically by the books picture perfect. So what you kind of said with like, oh, I can see like the lines and stuff like, Mm -hmm. no, it's not completely 100% accurate. This, this like, she is technically missing the back of her head. Technically, right? It, it, It could look unfinished. Yeah, but it doesn't because she's. She's using what she knows. She's using these techniques to make it look interesting. Not accurate or perfect, but interesting. And in that way, I just think it it's so much more beautiful. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with like fully rendered stuff and like photorealistic stuff. Don't get me wrong with with that. But I think what I'm trying to say is that like it doesn't have to be perfect to be perfect. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like you could explain it better. Uh, hardly, but I think what it makes me think of, like, in my own experience, I I work with cameras. Yeah. And and there's rules to working with uh-huh. cameras, and there's rules that you have to follow, like the rule of thirds and, like, you know, composition rules and stuff like that. And then you have artists like Wes Anderson who break the rule of thirds, literally the entire movie. Yeah, and just put everything in the middle of the frame. Yeah. And I feel like... Those are moments when art becomes different almost in a beautiful way. Yeah. And and sometimes breaking conventions and breaking rules mm-hmm. makes something really cool. And and you know I th- I feel this even happened in like art history like with like renaissance paintings being so photorealistic and uh-huh. then they turn to chiaroscuro and chiaroscuro yeah. I don't know how to say it. Shadowscuro, I believe. But Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm. I was in the Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I play the liar. <laughs> <laughs> but but when those painters like added a little something, even though it wasn't like the norm, or or when the impressionists, of course, yeah, the impressionists. How have we not talked about impressionism? When they decided to go a totally different route, focusing on light, focusing on like the way things like felt almost rather than what they really looked like. Uh-huh. And and that brings me to a question. I, I feel like with art, we have had such clear phases, like the Renaissance, like 
impressionism, post-impressionism, modernism, yeah, um, Dadaism, yeah, <laughs> and I, I understand we're in a period of post-modernism, yeah, but will it change from that? And if so, when? Because I feel like stuff like this is changing the norm and it's getting there and everything. But because postmodernism in art is changing the norm, yeah. will it ever progress from there? That's difficult to say because we've kind of gotten to the point where artists always say that there's no there's no new ideas. It's like everything has been done. Yeah. And so now I think I, I think in terms of art, we're getting more into an age where commercial art and fan art are really starting to like get up there and reign supreme the things I can say about participatory engagement. Yeah, right? Anyway. But I think that illustrators like Eliza just go to show that like there's that art is so subjective. You know, there's still good and bad in my opinion, but art is so subjective and when you really focus on what makes you great rather than what has to make you great, then that's where you really fly. Ooh, like an individualist perspective. Totally. I mean, what? Okay, let's go back to this one. Why does she need to be fully rendered? Why does she need? To, why does the back of her hair need to be there? It doesn't. And Eliza is saying it doesn't. And it can still look good when I make the choices that I want to make for this drawing. I. But does that make things too subjective? Could anyone be like, oh, it looks good because I think it looks good? That is that that is the question. That and is the just, question. That's this. We can tape we can tape bananas to the wall these days. I know, and... <laughs> right? And it's just in the eye of the beholder. I think what I'm trying to say at the end of the day is that when we try to pin art down to one thing, it kind of defeats the purpose. That doesn't mean you can't have preferences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because there's art that I really don't like. There's art that I really love. But when we try to pin it on, it should be this, or you should draw this way, I think that's where we kind of fail in judging quality. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't improve. That doesn't mean that there are objective principles that you shouldn't follow. But I do think it means that it is an individual thing. And... You know, don't get discouraged when your art doesn't look like a photo or when it doesn't look like another artist. Yeah, that, that was beautifully said. Thank you. I think you do a good job, too, in your own art. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I I think it's interesting with that kind of, like, discussion on subjectivity. I, I feel like what I get from this, really, is that you can still see, like, master class, like, totally. master works in people's art and I feel like you you see that here with Eliza you can see that she knows what she's doing and this isn't just scribbling this isn't just doodling it's yeah. it's an artist fully formed and and creating something that isn't kosher I guess it's not I mean it is kosher but it's it's not as common yeah in a way that really that brings forth its beauty yeah I think that's really great yeah thank you for sharing thank you for sharing everything that you shared I, we're so funny because half of our podcasts are the silliest, goofiest things known to man. As half of our podcasts are like, oh, yes, uh, indeed. Host, yes. you said. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, man, we really picked, I think we picked some complex things to talk about. We did. And we kind of, I feel like I kind of danced around what I really wanted to say and didn't really pin it down. What did you really want to say? 
I don't know. Go stare at the wall for a while. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. If I had to, I don't know. If I had to like summarize this episode, it would be learn to play the liar. No, I was kidding. <laughs> that was a Camille end statement. That was a Camille end statement. Okay, I'll do a McCann statement. If I had to summarize this episode, it would be that true love exists and the tragedies and the stories and the romances that are out there are such beautiful ways to express like real emotion. Trot- totally. And and it sometimes it's, it is difficult to talk about because these things are potent. They're they're incomprehensible like yeah. you were saying, but it's something that we collectively we collectively feel. That's why we know about Odysseus or whoa, Orpheus. wrong one, Orpheus. <laughs> That's why we know about Eliza here is because people have felt this art before and they're continuing to feel it and we feel it. It's I feel that art is such a a harmonizing thing for yeah. different people. And these artists both do the same thing. So That was beautifully said. That was a My great McKay ending. statement. <laughs> I'll see. Now can we make out? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bye. 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 <laughs>